Talk script. I'm Nick Nisi. Hoy hoy. And with me is Tori Rice. Tori, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. I'm not going to bring up WordPress. <sighs> that's a bummer. I think that you should. Well, maybe there'll be an extended <laughs> bonus version of this episode where that's just an entire hour and a half. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we've all been there. But uh, we're not here today to talk about uh, very exciting WordPress, uh, not failures. What, what am I trying to say? Adventures, right? Adventures. <laughs> no, we have two special guests with us. Uh, first off, we have Andrew Hunt. Andrew, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome to the show. And, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, I have been writing software for Oh gosh, I don't know, like roughly a decade plus minus, well, plus, definitely plus at this point. Um, primarily front end, then transitioned to full stack. So I've been kind of all over the place. Um, and I've spent a lot of that time doing um, build or CI, uh, CI tooling, um, uh, value stream management, I think was the latest one. And so that sort of transitions us into, uh, into where I am now. Which we nice. can get into in a bit. Welcome, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the show. And uh, you know, I was thinking a decade. Wow, that's a really long time. And then I realized that my first job was in January of two thousand nine. So uh, <laughs> right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it sort of like accumulates without you know you don't notice it. You're yeah. like, oh, I've got like five years experience, and then all of a sudden you're looking back, and uh, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, now that I feel bad, some days it feels more like <laughs> I have a couple weeks experience. So, you know, we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's how you know you're staying sharp, right? That's not, that's how you know you have uh, uh, 10 years experience when you know that's part of it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a dull knife you find in underneath a seat in Arby's or something. Oh, that's man. how I'm feeling today. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have the meats, but we do have Jason Schatz with us as well. Jason, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Sure, I'm a I'm a principal software engineer at Code Logic. Um, so you guys are going to make me feel really old now. I, I believe I'm at 18, going on 19 years of experience as a developer in various capacities. Um, I've gone back and forth between back end and full stack um, for my pretty much my entire career. So I started off in continuous integration um, before CI/CD was a thing. Um, and then I sort of morphed into CI/CD. Um, after that, did a little bit of stuff with medical software, also some uh, back office uh, stuff with like you know um, ERPs and things like that, as well as uh, <clears throat> a lot of work with parts catalogs. I worked for some uh, companies that do uh, do big catalog stuff for companies like uh, General Motors and Case New Holland and stuff like that. So um, nice, interesting stuff. Trying to you know. Here, here's this VIN number, take it and give me back, you know, make sure this part's going to fit on my car and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So it's yeah. interesting problems to solve. So yeah, I've been doing, I've, I've been doing JavaScript my entire career and, you know, TypeScript for, you know, a few years now since uh, it's been out. 
Nice. Um, so you said that you, you've kind of gone back and forth between like, did you say the back end and full stack? Yep. Back end full stack. So I've never been a, I've never been just a front end developer. I've always been, um, you know, I've always dealt with the back end, but various companies. Yeah. Where, you know, the, the need arised where it was like, well, like with the parts catalog stuff, um, they really needed a team to sort of surface the data that we, so we would get large amounts of data from the customer. We would then do run it through sort of like an ELT or ETL process, you know, extract, transform, load process to get it into a shape where we could then surface it to the customers. And then um, they, they had a big need to get a team that was able to get that data out efficiently. So, so trying to figure out how to query, you know, without having, you know, horrible performance on loading things and page time loads was, was a big deal for them. Nice. Very cool. Now, uh, Jason and Andrew, you both work at code logic. Uh, and so why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about what code logic is? I can go ahead if you want me to Andrew. Either way. All right. Um, we are a continuous, um, software intelligence platform, which is actually pretty much our own, we're, you know, we're, we're sort of working to create a space. So we're utilizing a lot of things that have um, buzzwords that people would know, right? Like we're utilizing static analysis. Um, we have agents that work in your tool that are doing things like dynamically keeping track of what calls you're making out. So basically like it can keep track of what are your, what resources are you reaching out to? What databases are you talking to? Um, we're working on things like um, queues and stuff. So, so based on these various pieces of information, we can sort of pull all this data together and utilize that to create an idea of what your application looks like and surface that information to you. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of space there for surfacing things like, you know, what does this piece of software look like? Um, you know, if I have this piece of software, what are the other things it's talking to um, you're looking at things like getting microservices out there, but the continuous software intelligence kind of comes from, you know, we're hooking into your, your tools, your continuous integration tools. We're able to trigger analysis of your software as it's going. And then we're able to take that analysis and input it into our own system, which is then going to surface reports and graphs that allow you to look at your software and say, you know, like, a lot of companies have the architecture diagrams that they either paid someone a lot of money for, or, you know, they, they've worked out over time and they say, this is what the software looks like. And a lot of times um, that doesn't match reality. So mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to bridge that gap. Basically like, you know, you've got an idea in your mind of what your software looks like. We're trying to give you the bigger picture of this is what it's actually, you know, this is what it's actually doing. And that could be as small as, you know, we're looking to refactor this, um, this application. We want to remove this piece. You know, we're, we're pretty sure we got it, you know, and it's possible that looking, you know, going through our tool and looking at it, you might think, oh, okay, we're all good. We, we think we removed everything, but no, we're actually still, you know, there's actually still something over here making a call out to that. Right. So that's yeah. sort of the space that we're operating in. So we're utilizing a lot of things, um, that are that have been in the industry for a while but we're we're utilizing them in a way where we are you know 
getting the structure is sort of just the start. Once we've got the structure, we're working on creating the connections, right? And then I'll, yeah. Andrew, did mm -hmm. you want to add anything? I was going to say, and then on top of that, right, building the tools to take apart this like massively complicated graph that we've just built for you, right? Um, and so I think maybe maybe the the other piece to to touch on is, um, you know, like one of the sort of baseline things we've established is um, um, some visualizations to let you dig into this graph, um, but um, in particular, I think for developers. Um, we're interested in uh, getting this back into developer hands in the tools that they're using, right? It's easy to add one more like, you know, UI that you could go to and dig into. Um, and then one of the things we want to do, and we have a number of plugins to do this already, and the count will continue to grow, is, um, you know, giving you uh, insight right in line in your editor um, and letting you then get some sort of some of this context. Um, I think that covers it, yeah. Yeah, uh, expanding on that a little bit. Um, so talking about, I mean, we do have some IDE integrations that we've worked on. We've, IntelliJ is one, Visual Studio Code, and uh, VS Code are others that we've worked on. So, you know, everyone, I think, as a developer in um, in languages where their there's static typing is familiar with, you know, you load a project into your IDE, you right-click on a method or a field or a class, and you say, you know, where is this used? And that's great for everything that's loaded into your IDE. So mm -hmm. one of the things that we are doing is because we've got this back end and we, we're scanning, you know, as we're scanning all your applications, we're able to find these connections. When you right click on something, we can use that information from the IDE to hit our back end, figure out what that is in our graph, and then give you a bigger picture. Like, you know, so there's a lot of instances where you can have a utility class that's utilized in a lot of different applications. When you click on it and you say, where is it used? It's going to say nowhere. And a lot of times the IDE will even highlight it, you know, like IntelliJ will gray it out and say, you know, no one uses this, but yeah. it's a utility language or it's a utility library. So actually there's all these libraries that are utilizing it and having that information and, in, you know, in there gives you some better ideas of if I'm if I'm going to change this operation or I'm going to make changes to this what's the what what's the scope of that right because you could look at something and say ah oh, this isn't that big of a deal but then you analyze it and you say actually it's used in half my you know agents or libraries or things that I'm working on so you know it's yeah. a pretty big which that's a Nice. That is pretty important, like uh, with a lot of the customers, larger customers that uh, like our company works with uh, SitePen, um, what we do, uh, we will go in and there'll be a lot of times code that people won't are afraid to touch because there is no analysis. They don't know where it goes, who uses it. So you end up with code being copied, a new you know API endpoint being created that's almost exactly the same, but with some minor difference that could have been modified, but because they're don't know where this gets used and because there are hundreds of different things using it pot potentially you know there there's definitely this like massive amount of code duplication that happens because there's just no easy way for them to look at it and feel confident in knowing oh like yeah because like you said you open it in your editor and it says it's not being used and you might think well that means i have free reign to do whatever but you really don't so you have one group of people who may feel way overconfident and mess it up and then that leads to a lifetime of never touch anything ever again make your own 
duplicate the code because I'm terrified. I'm more in the I'm terrified. Like I've messed up enough stuff in my life to be like, I'm too scared to touch things. So unless I know for sure, I'm going to just pop over here and do something else, you know, and, and that's, that's definitely a bad thing. Or you can go around and ask a hundred different people because, and then at the end of the day, the person who originally created it probably doesn't even work there anymore. So no one really yes. has a good grasp mm -hmm. on where any of this stuff is used. And the best anyone can say is it should be okay. Or maybe not do that. You know? So like a tool like that would definitely be helpful in, in a lot of circumstances like that to keep, you know, code duplication down and feel more confident at least, um, in, in what's going on. I think that's it. The, the confidence piece is really big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that really speaks to to a problem that I'm running into right now. As we're like, I, I definitely am approaching things more from the front end side of things. But uh, you know, we have our a custom design system with like custom components that we've created, and we're going we're looking at like going and doing a big rebrand of everything, and that kind of starts with the design system and getting you know all new fresh colors in there, but. When I go look at like how those components are used in like just a single product, for example, I see just, just like running a quick script, I can see that we override the styles on those like hundreds of times. Yes. And it's because when, when those changes come, like, you know, we see, oh, they changed something in Figma. It's like, well, is this specific to this product that we're working on or is it like product like every product should be using that and so the problem is we don't have this insight to say well this component is used in this project and this project and this project i only know that it's used in the project that i'm working on right now and i don't want to break anything else so i'll just overwrite it right here and so are you saying that that code logic is a tool that could like help me to visualize where those components might be used elsewhere and then at least give me, you know, a list of where I need to go check to, to have more confidence if I want to go change that directly. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's our starting point. Um, you know, on top of that, um, another, another aspect we can get into is um, sort of a, a delta over time. This is now this is uh -huh. something that I mean, we're working on right now, right? We have the basic foundation, I think we're, we're in the process of landing this, but um, um, it's, so not only could you could you going back to an earlier example of Jason's, not only could you um, take a look at a uh, at this graph and and figure out, um, oh, we missed a spot, but potentially then you could hook it into like your PR or, or CI process um, probably before the code lands um, and uh, get a sense of or take a look at the diff of the snapshot before and then with your code change, right? So then then you say like, well, um, oh yeah, we did miss these two connections. So just update the PR, right? Something like that before it even goes out. Mm -hmm. Well, that's no fun. I, I mean, what <laughs> else, how are you supposed to, what are you going to do on a Saturday if not stress and try to fix something you broke on Friday? Like, I don't understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to like go outside or something. I mean, phew. I know it's tough. It's a tough life. <laughs> so I'm curious how, how it does that. Um, you mentioned that it's doing like, like it knows more about those projects, like, like, you know, help me out as, as just a, a front end developer, you know, trying to work this out through, like I'm bringing this in as an NPM package. Are you looking to see what other projects that I, I work with also bring that in as a package and then kind of using that to, to correlate them together or, or, you know, can you explain a little bit about how it, how it knows this stuff? Sure. Yeah. Go, Go ahead, Andrew. I was gonna say, Go <laughs> All right, right on, right on. Um, I was going to say yes. Um, right in our, I think our our current form and sort of our 
um, most basic foot in the water, particularly with JavaScript, where um, it's like just traversing a file system, right? But it's already mm -hmm. the, th the things that we're adding into on top of this is just an awareness of general like NPM structure um, so that you can differentiate like a library from your code or parts of your code or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, we're using Babel, right? So um, it's like, I, to Jason's point again, right? Like these are these are sort of off-the-shelf tools, or at least these are tools that have been proven to like solve problems well, right? We don't need to reinvent these things. The key thing that we want to add in terms of value is bringing that information into this like more abstracted, uh, connected graph. Um, but yeah, under the hood, I mean, it's it's doing some fairly simple things. Although we're adding, you know, we're adding new stuff every day. So yeah, um, something we do. Currently, so we have a number of different agents that do different source code analyses, right? So we, um, the the Node.js agent is one of our newer ones. Um, so, on the Java side, we've got thing, you know, we've got frameworks that Java uses like Spring um, and things like that, and Hibernate, where um, we're able to analyze the annotations. So when you've got your methods, okay. your classes, you've got the annotations. Using that information, so if we scan your database, we scan your your classes, right? We can make those connections that the database is being accessed, right? Based based yeah. on our knowledge that this class is utilizing these tables, we can connect those things. We can um, oh, cool. expand on that if we're doing dynamic scanning, if we're running runtime-based scanning, where we're actually injected into your application. We can look at what you're actually talking to, which is something that um, <clears throat> I do not believe we have a dynamic agent right now for the Node.js side, but it's something that we would want to, you know, we somewhat, something we would go to. But yeah, things like that where we can, we know the frameworks you're using, we can leverage that to tell us information about what you're talking to and make those connections. And in, in the Java side, for instance, you know, if, if you've got a server, for instance, that's, you know, serving up an endpoint, we can actually look at the client side code and make those connections for you and say, you know, you've got this service, it's actually talking to to these services. So those are some of the things where we can look at like, you know, microservice, you know, looking at your microservices, if you want to like retire one, things like that, showing you what's, what's accessing that. Very cool. So uh, maybe I missed it. Did you say that like in the Java agent, it's doing things like at runtime or under it's understanding the, how things are called at runtime? It is. So it's okay. actually being injected into the code base, similar to um, how a lot of your tools, like your uh, um, New Relic and stuff, would do things. Yeah. You know, sort of, we're injecting it in, and we're we're doing a small footprint to try and record things and communicate those back yeah. in in a way that doesn't you know degrade your your performance. Yeah, very cool. That definitely goes you know well beyond just static analysis stuff and gives you real insights into to the code. So that's, that's really cool. And um, so that's, that's kind of uh, an overview of how the agents work. Now, can you tell us how that stuff would get surfaced to like a developer? Um, you mentioned there's like IDE integrations and um, is there also like, I don't know, a web app or, or some kind of application that, that visualizes things for you or, mm -hmm. or how does that work from a, like a, developers perspective using this tool yeah i think so yes we have both right um particularly in terms of um setting up different perspectives into you know like so you've gathered a, a large graph that is the complete graph of you know whatever applications you've chosen to add into the system 
Um, and then uh, the web app would be most useful for then building up a context, a sort of a particular select sub-selection of applications. Maybe if you're in a very large organization, there are a lot of applications that m could talk to each other, but you're only particularly interested in the handful that you work on. Um, you know, or the the one that you work on and how it connects out to its you know its neighbors, um, and then uh, also we do visualizations like a, a couple of graph visualizations of the the hierarchy that we're gathering, right? Just as a jumping off point, um, you know, clearly we'll, there will be a lot of um, there are a lot of different ways that we could be looking uh, into this data, and it's a lot to consume. Um, but we wanted to make sure off the bat that you have at least like access to that entire structure and you can dig through it and we're providing tools to help you kind of narrow in what you're looking at and then so the one of the Go one of the it. things that we do is um so from your ide you when you when you we find the reference or we find the results for you you click on them um we can take you to our website and um, a couple interesting things here. So we are so our website is surfacing it as a graph, but we can take you to the particular node that we found. Basically, we take you there and we show you. Um, we call it the impact analysis. So we're giving you, you know, you can look at something and you can see, you know, basically from all the stuff that we scanned, we're using a graph-based analysis to say, tell me everything else that's referencing this, and we're creating you a large graph of basically here's, you know. You're going to get the basic stuff, right? Like this class is in this, you know, this, this method's in this class. It's in this jar, right? That's just basic like file structure stuff. But then you're going to get the more mm -hmm. interesting stuff of, you know, it's referenced from this, it, you know, this method's called from this method in this other class over here. Or um, this method calls this database, right? So you're getting a bigger picture of what basically the footprint of it. And that's where sort of the graph stuff comes into play is, you know, um, I think I don't think you mentioned this yet. We're we're utilizing a library called Go.js, which I believe it's JavaScript. I don't is it TypeScript? Do you remember, Andrew? Uh, I think it's offhand. yeah, it's uh, JavaScript with types built on top of it. They are as many libraries are in the process of converting themselves 100% to TypeScript. So we have a, we have a large amount of UI for allowing you to explore. Through the graphs, basically, you can you can go in there, you can walk the graph, you can find things. We we have ways of dropping you into the graph so that you can you know you can we can sort of bootstrap you into a location, and then we've got a lot of reports that allow you to get information as well from that. So basically, like uh, um, if I want to go in and see various information about like the types of things, like if I want to see the classes in my applications or I want to see the methods in my applications or classes and things like that, we, we've got some of that yeah. as well, but, um, but that's sort of some of the stuff that we're surfacing. Nice. So that sounds, this sounds like it would solve a problem that I, I just ran into like a week ago where I, you know, I have a, Again, I'm talking from the front end side. So I have a hook in React that I want to find out where all it's being used, just given a component that is using it. So like, you know, I have this, you know, accordion component or whatever, and I know that it has several children throughout it. Are any of those children calling this hook? And I could do like, write some script that goes and looks at all of the imports recursively through everything. But it sounds like this would just surface it to me in the graph that I could see and give me that insight. Because I was really looking for like, you know, I want to change this 
what am I going to impact throughout all of it? And there's like less obvious things. Obviously I could just use like the, the language servers, you know, show me the references uh, panel and, and go from there. But that wouldn't tell me that, you know, this component that brings in a component that uses that, you know, 10 layers up is also going to be impacted by this. And it seems like this would, would be able to tell me something like that, right? Yes. Um, so we are using, I don't know if this is, this would be interesting, but we're using, uh, as a backend, we're using a graph-based database. We're using Neo4j. And that's oh, cool. what allows us to do some of the, this, this analysis that's, that's quick, right? So um, one of, uh, you know, one of the things that graph databases tout is, um, you know, your traditional relational database, you've got index is, right? And you, so you've got, you've got tables, you're, you're jumping tables with indexes, right? It's a, it's a, where's my, my comp sci professors are going to, going to be mad at me. My, uh, my big O, right. It's, it's n log n or is it log n for, for an index lookup, right. But, um, when you're dealing with a, with a graph based database, um, one of the things that Neo4j touts is index free adjacency. So if oh. I have a node, there's actually a reference, a file pointer to other nodes. So, it's a simple operation for us to, to take a point in your application and say, tell you, you know, build the list of things that are coming out of it because all we're doing is walking the graph and returning yeah. it. We're not having to say like, okay, this is a class. So we go to the class table and find the class with this ID. And then now we have to go to the, the thing, you know, we're not, it, it, it allows us to not have to, to do some of that, which gives us some performance a lot of performance boosts out of, you know, mm -hmm. being able to do these analysis when, uh, mm -hmm. when you're looking for things. In, in your particular example, I think from the UI, it also might be interesting to dive in. Like, so like if you wanted to figure out where a hook was being used, like you can go to our, like our primary, um, you know, hierarchical view and dig in uh, to the, the file that you know this thing is exported from or you could do a search right to start just finding the node and then mm -hmm. you basically pivot um using the impact analysis that jason was talking about right to then now that you found this thing you then sort of invert your search to like start there and dig back into all the things connected and i think it would solve the problem you were talking about yeah yeah that sounds sounds like what i was trying to to think of and i was thinking of like oh i could maybe do, do this as like a a CLI where I give it, you know, the module that I want and a starting point and mm -hmm. tell me everything mm -hmm. from there. It, um, yeah, that's a, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I was going to say it, it quickly got too complicated in my head that I, I didn't have the time to <laughs> really dig into it. I think you, you touch on something interesting though, right? Like we are providing um, visualization tools, um, you know, and we're trying to anticipate needs and give you the ability to dig through the graph, but also with our IDE plugins or, you know, any number of future endeavors there, like, like we have a really interesting data set and like providing a way to, you know, build tools to dig into that. Um, I think would be really useful, right? It doesn't have to be limited to any one of these particular things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And it just gives you different ways to look into like these, these connections that you have that, you know, uh, my experience going through things. I've been a, a Vim user for 10 years. I'm you have? Oh, me too. To bring that me up. Too. You have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I know. Yes, yes. I was like, that's the one thing we're missing is a Vim plugin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's oh, yeah. Missing. I, I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's on my list. It's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like because of that and because of like the 
the upbringing I've had through software development. It was, you know, I started off with Java, uh, quickly did not like it and moved over to where nobody else liked, which was JavaScript and just worked in there and kind of built up, you know, now to TypeScript and so on and so forth. But when I was first starting, you know, Vim was the perfect editor because it didn't have all the bells and whistles. And honestly, they weren't that helpful for JavaScript back then, right? Mm -hmm. There was no mm -hmm. real static analysis that you could do. There was nothing like it was so dynamic and wild westy that you couldn't really get any benefit out of it. And I just had a lot of, uh, you know, remembering how to do things or building a lot of things up in my head and going from there. But then, you know, I started seeing the benefits of these tools. And specifically for me, it was through the language server protocol and like that whole thing coming up through TypeScript because that was my real introduction to, wow, there's some cool analysis that I can get from these tools. But that's kind of like, you know, I've been in TypeScript ever since and that's kind of where I've stopped and, and just, you know, you're opening my mind to like all of these other connections and correlations that are missing that can offer me so much more knowledge about my code base that uh, I'm not, I'm not seeing with just the, you know, the language server results, uh, the default language server results. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. <clears throat> now, speaking of, of that, um, I was going to ask, um, because that's, that's kind of a big thing that I know is like, or does code logic you know, when, when you're talking about like JavaScript uh, and, and that piece, or maybe other languages too, because I know that other languages implement a language server uh, as well. Do you embrace and extend that or does it work uh, in adjacent to that? Or or how does that work with like the developer, the IDE integration specifically? Um, I Actually, I don't think I've looked at that code uh, in a while now, and I know there have been some changes made to it. Um, so <laughs> I may not be up on the latest. Um, I believe it's a JSON sure. right now, um, right? So like um, in some respects, um, it you know it would make sense to use something like a language server protocol, but that is also kind of tailor-built to be traversing a particular, um, you know, a particular kind of code. Um, and yeah. also like, we don't necessarily like this, I think gets back into like, if, you know, as an, uh, as a developer, if you're like, you know, happily using the IDE that you have and you have your mechanism to get the insights you want, like you just keep doing that, right? Like we don't need to necessarily replace that. We want to augment that. Sure. Um, so over time it'll get a little bit more nuanced, but I think right now it's, um, adjacent. Yeah, no. And that sounds good. Cause I think that that offers a lot of good you know, insights into what it knows, which is the, the current project that you're running, but uh, CodeLogic would know much more than that. And, and that kind of leads me to another question is, uh, would, would CodeLogic be able to um, surface like correlations between languages or across languages? More and more. Yes, right. That, that yeah. is one of the differentiators, but that is also, you know, that is a hard problem. Um, it is a hard problem, but looking at endpoints is would yeah. is is a good start, right? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the benefits of the way we've done the system is we have a generic graph-based ingestion that we use, and then we write different agents that are very good at analyzing the source code. You know, basically what it's doing is it's going through the source code. It's saying I found these things, and then I found you know here's a list of things I found that these things should connect to. And then um, we sort of take that as a whole. And then once we have that and we have a few other pieces, we kind of take them and we sort of throw them back together and we say, okay, let's, let's look at all these potential relationships and can we connect any, right? And um, especially with things like databases and crossing um, 
you know, being able to cross languages, um, that's an area where we can absolutely say, like, you've got this JavaScript library, you've got this this Java library, this guy calls these these services. Same thing with going mm -hmm. across um, .NET, you know, uniting Microsoft and Java in, in peaceful <laughs> harmony, finally, you know. Yeah. <laughs> At endpoints length. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, that that is absolutely an area where um, where we can excel is that, you know, we're we're just looking at the languages and trying to make connections, regardless mm -hmm. of what the implementation is. Right. Yeah. And because you you can have that uh, like runtime piece too, like you you get more. I mean, I don't know honestly. I'm I'm just like no. spitballing here, <laughs> but like you probably get more insight just based on on that because you're not. It's not just the the static source code that you're looking at you know, across projects, across languages, but also how's it actually running and, and getting together? Um, um, we and, actually started the dynamic agent because we were working with some customers and they were, you know, they, they, they thought that what we were doing, you know, looking at what you're explicitly calling out to was great, but yeah, what, what if my developers are, you know, are referencing tables the way they're not supposed to. And you're like, Oh, right. We can find that out. You know, I doubt they are, but if they are, they probably have a good reason. But yeah, yeah. But and that and that would surface, right? Like, like at a first glance, it might seem like two things are unconnected. And even though they had a good reason to be doing it another way, now you know that they're connected, right? Whereas before, you might have just assumed they weren't. Made some breaking change, you know, and and discovered after the fact that there were other interesting ways they were connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, as a developer who's used crazy. ORM frameworks, I've definitely hit scenarios where I'm like, Hibernate won't stop doing this, and I can't figure out how, and I need it done in two hours, so I'm just going to SQL insert it, because... We'll know. come back to it, right? Tech debt, up. right? Yeah. You're like, just... <laughs> it's also just really cool being able to, you know, to gather that data and then like figure out correlations that might make sense around it like uh, an example I'm, I'm thinking of is completely opposite of this but there's like this whole um area of like iphone apps that are popping up that like try and analyze you know your health data with the weather data with you know data that you enter about what you eat things like that and it tries to like make these random correlations and they're in a lot of ways terrible right now like oh you you weigh less when it's raining outside or, or things like that. Like it doesn't make sense, but um, like there are, you know, possibilities as you're just like taking in more, being able to make these correlations more and more that aren't as ridiculous as that, but like actually offer real benefits that you just don't think about. And, you know, I can't even imagine in my head how, what possible correlations there could be, but I just know that there's some fascinating ones that definitely could arise. For sure. What one of the keynotes? So, so I, I went to Neo4j Con this year because it was, um, you know, because we use Neo4j and you know it was interest. It was good information and it seemed like a good way to network and build some of our client base. And and one of their keynotes, um, you can, I believe you can search it on Neo4j's Google site. They uh, <clears throat> they mentioned uh, um, one basically it's like their director of data science. I think I'm probably wrong on the title, but. Uh, one of his first experiences or early experiences he talked about was that they discovered that, you know, utilizing the graph to do data analysis, they discovered that dads who bought um, 
dads who bought diapers and beer were more likely to buy an Xbox. <laughs> and it, it seems like a really crazy correlation, but it, it was actually helpful because it turned out that, you know, newborn fathers have a lot of time to sit on the couch and play video games while, you know, <laughs> their kids. So, you know, it's basically oh, like, well, dad wants to relax and have a beer. So he's probably <laughs> open to buying, you know, an Xbox, right? That's fine. I, that's, that's the second time I've mentioned Microsoft now in this. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that is awesome but yeah that that's kind of the correlations that i'm talking about where it's you know they're things that you don't think of uh, or aren't obvious to you but when you have all of this data coming in and and can do this analysis and, and i'm speaking like more of what code logic is doing where it's you know it's looking i'm just thinking back to like my my uh component library right it's seeing where all it's used and maybe i can use that to make insights to add more functionality to a particular component because it's always overridden in this specific way or things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just making it more flexible, but just filling me with the knowledge that I need to be able to go and, and make those changes. Whereas, you know, without something like that, we end up where I'm at right now where we just have a bunch of the same overrides over and over and over and don't realize it uh, because we're too scared to, to change things. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, confidence is, definitely one of the things that we've been pushing is you know like can i can i know that i'm you know you know it, it it's it's how much do i need to test this it's even qa effort right like mm -hmm. you know if i'm breaking this how many different you know at certain organizations where you've got pieces that have different qa teams you can look at like how many qa teams do i need to engage based on the scope of of what mm -hmm. i'm working on right now or for QA, yeah. um, you know, recognizing that while the code changed this part of the code, there are a bunch of connections to something else that we should make sure is still okay after this change lands or something, right? Like that might not be an obvious connection when testing just based on the code change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, where do you see this going? Are there things that you'd like to continue implementing? Uh, maybe specifically with uh, in like the, the node agent area or the TypeScript agent? Um, where, where do you see things going? Here, I would say um, digging into, I mean, digging deeper into type surfacing more, particularly TypeScript information. Um, also mm -hmm. um, expanding, I think there there are a lot of different ways to use JavaScript and just continuing to expand, um, you know, our essentially our coverage or the ease with which, um, you know, those all just become part of this large graph. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that when you were talking about, um, you know, your your node agent, I think, versus like your, your Java agent and like utilizing um, spring annotations and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like That seems really cool. And then I feel like when you go to all the different ways that JavaScript is being used and abused, it's probably like hurting cats trying to understand all of that. It is. And, and I feel like, uh, yeah, that, you know, I had mentioned that I, expanding or including the dynamic agent for Node.js, I think would be a good way to cut cut through some of that yeah right mm -hmm. it's figuring out what it's you know what it's talking to mm -hmm. at, at mm -hmm. any given point in time be really interesting there in particular to um you could correlate the actual runtime types passing through a function to how it's typed um you know statically presumably it is all or like i guess in the ideal case it's all completely self-consistent because you're using you know strict typescript 
but in practice, you know, there are some some sort of implicit any edges out there. Um, and it would be interesting Yeah. to like get insight into how you ought to be typing things um, based on the actual types flying through something. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe, oh, you have this typed as being passed a string, but in this one instance, you're actually passing it a number. And so it's almost like after the fact, Mm -hmm. runtime type checking. <laughs> Yeah. Or like, you know, like, like currently if I'm trying to, um, if I don't have like a sort of a type generation based on my API, right? Like Yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not at that point yet, um, then I am like manually inspecting responses and like essentially like forcing types, right? Applying types at the boundary so that I have a, a, you know, ideally, or, you know, I'm assuming it's self-consistent. It's self-consistent with what I think I'm getting back. But if you can watch that usage actually coming through over time, then like you could just go consult that usage of the API when you go to like produce a new type. Or you could use that to generate a type. That's like Mm-hmm. really Oh, yeah. far out there, but you know, all of these are possible. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty cool stuff. Now, is there anything uh, that we we didn't get to covering today that you wanted to cover about Code Logic? I don't think so. I think through the questions we we touched on everything. I mean, we talked about the impact analysis. We talked about um we we talked about the uh, the IDE plugins. I think we hit. most of those. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it, uh, it looks really cool and I, I definitely want to check it out more. And so can you tell folks, uh, how they can learn more about the product? Sure, you can go to our website, uh, codelogic.com, and check us out there. And that's on the world wide web. Just That is on just the world out wide on those, web. the internets. <laughs> Okay. We also That's right. have a Twitter, I believe. This is all marketing things that I should probably be paying more attention to. Yes. At CodeLogic Inc. <laughs> and we will have links to that in the show notes uh, so Yes. people can find that, find Code Logic, and find uh, y'all on Twitter. Um, well, cool. We want to thank you so much for, for uh, sharing all of this knowledge with us today. Uh, I think that this is a really exciting tool that can really, you know, put all of these correlations that I didn't know that I needed together. And even the ones that I do like make it e so much easier to, uh, to surface them to me and to my team to make it, um, to just give us more insight into the code we're writing and the code we're maintaining. for sure So, yeah yeah. thank you for, thanks for having us on yeah thanks Yeah. for coming Thank you. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. sounds good all right that's the show thanks so much for listening you can find us online at talkscript.fm You can subscribe or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods casted to. The theme music is by Rabbit at rabbitthebandcom